Weird Realities explores the paranormal, preternatural, and supernatural worlds that surround us. Here, we delve into those topics that challenge us to think outside the limitations of realism, where we test the boundaries of imagination and are forced to think outside the confines and restrictions of what is normal. We are the creators, the writers, the artists, and the insane. Welcome to our Weird Realities. You're tuning in to Weird Realities, the number one destination for super fans of writers, podcasters, and researchers who challenge you to test the boundaries of your imagination and question that which society considers normal. A federal jury convicted McDonald, now 77, of the beating and stabbing deaths. McDonald has always proclaimed his innocence of the murders, which he claims were committed by four intruders, three male and a female. He says that they unlocked the rear door of his apartment at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and attacked him, his wife, and children with instruments such as knives, clubs, and ice picks. Hello, I'm Hadley Thorne, and this is Weird Mysteries, Murders, and Mayhem. Joining me tonight are Scott Baker and Miss Morgana Calder. Welcome, everybody. Hello, hello. Hello, how are you doing? Good to see y'all. You too. Long time no see. Yes. <laughs> so this case is fascinating to me. Number one, because I used to live at Fort Bragg and rode by the house. And I mean, when I was told us where it was, I was like, oh my God, I remember reading Fatal Vision when I was in school. and. You know, it just brought back a lot. It just made it really real, you know. And um, it's just a fascinating case. And the fact that mm-hmm. McDonald is, I think I read where this is the most, um, or one of the most litigated cases in American history. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think it's fascinating. So what did y'all think? Go ahead, Scott. No, I'm again, the ladies first. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely one of those things that, um, it's honestly, I don't believe him. I think you did it, but you know, um, there are some holes in it. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like one of those, uh, situations where I, I think part of the reason that a lot of people didn't think he did was because of who he was and his background and stuff like that. But it's it's kind of like in several other cases, you know, where where everybody kind of falls behind it and or behind the person, and then just later finds out that they were just really good at covering it up. Um, well, go ahead. I think the fact that his father-in-law started off supporting him, but mm-hmm. then over the course of what nine years of the investigation coming, mm-hmm. you know, more and more details coming out. He went from being, you know, supporting him to thinking that he did it. Right. And he died believing that McDonald did it. Yeah. 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 He got turned off by the way McDonald, when he, after he was no longer a suspect, the way McDonald went around to TV talk shows and it was all about him. It wasn't about his murdered family. It Mm -hmm. wasn't about, you know, let's find the killers. Let's bring them to justice. It was all about himself. And that eventually turned the father off. Mm -hmm. And I'll be honest, I know a little about the case, but I didn't read Fatal Vision or watch the movie. I didn't have time. I went the other direction. I went looking for those people that said, you know, no, he's innocent for this reason. But one thing, and we'll discuss all the details later, one thing that never settles with me, why did he do it? There's all that evidence that says it was him. There's some of the evidence that says it was the four hippies. But let's assume it was McDonald. As far as I know, he has no history of violence. No history of wife abuse. Um, 
you know, he was working for the military. It wasn't like, you know, by killing off his wife, he may inherit a fortune. I don't see the motive. And that's one of the main reasons why I never thought him guilty. Well, and here's the thing, and I, I that's totally valid, but the thing that kind of makes me lean more towards that he does, or he did, is that the way that they were killed and the extent was just so, I mean, you have to have something inside of you to do that kind of violence. You know, and I'm not saying that there aren't people out there capable of it, but, you know, they, they talk about, you know, uh, parents or spouses or whatever that just totally lose it one day and go off the deep end. And that's the kind of violence you see with that kind of scenario. Well, there's a couple of, and I started off looking at this um, from the perspective of who at 77 years old is going to to ask them to start running DNA tests. You know, the science has changed. He, you know, it, it's exonerated a number of people. He's seeking that evidence to be, you know, done. I listened to the court case the other day where they were like doing one of his appeals. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I think he did do it. There are holes, uh, legitimate holes, but the, there's there's just little things, little things like his wife had said repeatedly um, before any of this happened. She taught a class, it was like some type of motherhood class or something, mm -hmm. and they had two daughters, a two year old and a five year old, and the five year old was still wetting the bed, and the two year old obviously was still wetting the bed. She wasn't potty trained yet, and that McDonald would make her get up and go sleep on the couch. He never did. And she said this in class with I me mean, for no reason other than she's telling these women about, you know, what she does when the baby, you know, pees the bed. And basically she said, you know, he wants to stay in bed. He doesn't want to get out. I have to get out. I have to go sleep on the sofa. He never does that. But yet that night, he says he was sleeping on the couch. That the little girl had used the bathroom in the bed, that he got her up and moved her. And um, I think that's very telling because you know when someone has a pattern like that, mm -hmm. they don't break yeah. it. Yeah, that's true. The other thing that gets me is, um, and again, this comes from living in one of those military um, bases, is the neighbors did not hear anything. The, I think there was one report of one of the neighbors heard a woman yelling, what are you doing? You know, like she was pissed off and yelling at a man. Mm -hmm. And they think this is how it was set up to me. And this is you know, what I believe. She hit him in the head with the hairbrush. And it pissed him off. He was already angry over the five-year-old because that's the other weird thing with some blood evidence that they had. They found the five-year-old's blood splatter in the bedroom, the master bedroom, but not the two-year-old's. So he said that the two-year-old had been sleeping in there and that the five-year-old was asleep in her bed. And they were talking about why would he make that distinguish and the, the, the guy I was listening to, the cold clip case guy, he said, is to distance himself from murdering that child. It probably pissed him off that the five-year-old was still wetting the bed and here is why, you know, he's probably spanked her or something, you know, something happened. The wife hits him in the head and then he probably hit her. That's when she picked up, and then again, this is alleged, allegedly picked up something and hit him with it. And that's when he took it and just lost his mind mm -hmm. and just snapped, which, and you know what sleep deprivation can do to you. He was a surgeon. Um, he could, you know, have been sleep deprived. I don't know. But um, the fact is no one heard three hippies and a woman chanting weird stuff. You know, one of the police officers on the way to the scene did think he did see a woman in a floppy hat. 
But again, it's Fort Bragg in the middle of the night. You know, could have been, you know, could have been anybody. anything. <laughs> yeah. At that time, Fort Bragg did not have the um, security gates that you had to go through. So mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was an open base. I think that's what they called it. So you could come and go. Right. But um, Fort Bragg is quite a distance away from Fayetteville. I was I would say especially at that time because it wasn't built up yet. So um, it would be a long walk for somebody for sure. Mm-hmm. But um, that where the house is is kind of close to where the PX is. So you know someone could be coming and going from the PX. You just you just never know. Right. But the police may, or the MPs got there within ten minutes of the call. So it just like I said, there's just some some weird stuff going on here. And I agree, there are certain things that don't make sense that point towards McDonald's. Big fight in the living room, yet nothing was disturbed. The coffee table was knocked over, but there were magazines on the floor under the coffee table. That's not how it would have fallen. You know, none of, none of this stuff, all the, the Valentine's Day cards were still lined up neatly on the mantelpiece. Uh, not on the mantelpiece, on the cupboard. Um, Which was unstable. Did you read that? that it was oh, no, I did not read that. That, um, that the cupboard or china cabinet yeah. or whatever was rickety. Yeah. The and I remember seeing in the documentary I saw they redid the court case where he said, "Well, one thing is, I do find it hard that a guy trained in the special forces can't take down three drug addicts, though yeah. so two of them were supposedly veterans." So that's a 50-50. Well, and and it, let, let me say this. He wasn't yeah. a Special Forces Green Beret. He was a surgeon assigned to the Special Forces. That's true. That's true. Um, the, the evidence that he claims he wrapped the, he wrapped his pajama tops around his face, around his hands and was using it to fend off the knife and then use that to drop on his wife. There was the evidence, which I do tend to support, that if, you, if you're stabbing at that type of held garment, you're gonna tear it, which they, when they reenacted it in the courtroom, they tore it. It didn't fit the description of him placing it over his wife. It fit more if you placed it over his wife and then he stabbed her with it. And apparently there was an FBI, later the FBI got involved in this. And they were able to match up 21 of the 40-odd stab wounds in the shirt with stab wounds on her body. Yep. Well, so, the shirt, yeah. I mean, the other thing that, in the stuff that I watched was talking about the fibers, that the fiber evidence supported that he did it. That yes, no that they found there. they found his fibers on the floor underneath her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but and, and in the bedrooms with the children. But why? See, the problem I have with it is I can see him going ballistic on his wife. I can understand that, but his children. I think he accidentally killed the first child, the five-year-old. I think he accidentally killed her because she did not have the rage-filled stab wounds and all that the other two did. Which I think she had, was it like 11? I mean, it's still a lot. But the other was like 30. 30 to 50, wasn't it? But didn't they say yeah. that they thought that his wife had actually gone in to protect the other one? The, and with all of the, the violence against her and the little girl was there also, then it could have just been overkill, you know, with both of them. I find it still very hard, even with all the evidence, I still find it very hard to believe that a well-educated man 
with no history of violence would go nuts like that and then afterwards be the way he is yeah i know he could he could be psychotic he could be lying i know when they when they put him under psychosis um they put him under hypnosis um nobody could determine whether he was asleep he was truly under hypnosis or whether he was faking it i it's just hard for me to make that jump if it was just the wife that was killed uh, then I would be much more inclined to believe, yep, he killed his wife, made up this story about a bunch of hippies coming in. Well, you got to admit his phraseology with the, I'm going to kill those acid bastards or, or whatever he said is kind of crazy. That's not, I mean. You mean before that time? Coming straight out of resuscitation. Yeah, like they were no also the fact that while the wife and the two children were brutalized he wasn't yeah. he had some bruises some scrapes two minor lacerations and one knife wound in the chest and almost every doctor at the time said no you know that he was in no danger of dying from those wounds but he knew he wouldn't die if he self-inflicted those wounds. Yeah. 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 And you would think, too, that being the attackers, that he'd be the one they'd take out first. You know, that if, if it were going to go to that level, you're going to take out the person who's most apt to hurt you. Exactly. Now. Having said all that, and I, I do agree, there's a lot to this case. Um, I think there's a lot wrong with this case. I don't think he would have been convicted based on just the evidence that was available at the time. I don't think he would have been convicted in a court of law because there were too many things that was not allowed to be introduced at the trial. Well, the, the, well, the evidence. Um, there were 20, there were 27 people trudging around that house the next morning. And not all of them were investigators. Officers were coming in to see what was going on. Uh, evidence was mishandled. There, there was that the DNA sample under one of the daughter's fingernails, they found that didn't match anybody in the household. Well, and let me mention this before I forget. I don't know, I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt, but no, it was good. a medical anomaly, but every member of their family had a different blood type. Okay, I did not know that. Yeah. But the DNA under the daughter's fingernails didn't match anyone in the family. And the piece of skin found under the wife's fingernails disappeared. It was mis it was miscategorized. 
And it, it, it left the house and nobody ever saw it again. So I think there's a lot there that if it had gone to a full, and the judge did not allow certain things to be heard by the, by the jury that might have switched. Uh, the stuff that was allowed proved him reasonable beyond a shadow of a doubt. But there were other things that if had been introduced might have produced the shadow of a doubt. Now, having said that, let me throw out my reason why I don't think he's innocent. I mean, I don't think he's guilty. Like I said, I didn't watch, I didn't watch Fatal Vision. I, I'd want to, I'm going to watch it. It's a five hour movie. I didn't have time. <clears throat> I watched False Witness, an hour and a half documentary written by an Academy Award documentarian who delved into certain things like this. He's the one who did the, uh, I think he won his Academy Award for the documentary on McNamara and how McNamara screwed up the Vietnam War and uh, the expose on him. He went in and he, he did the investigation and one name, and I'm sure you ladies, it came up a lot, Helena Stokely. Mm -hmm. Okay. You, I'm sure she came up in all of it. Helena Stokely to me is the one thing that I can't say McDonald did it. Um, she's too, she's, She's too convincing to me. Um, she didn't get anything out of this. She didn't make a lot of money. She didn't get fame. But she constantly from, from the, from the 19, from 1969 all the way up to her death in 83 kept on testifying that, you know, it wasn't him. It was us. We were in there. Um, you know, it, we're the ones that did the killing. The problem was she admits she was there, but she never did the killing. She went along with them. She was drugged up on, on acid at the time. And so let me just give you the quick rundown of what I discovered. One of the things that was different about McDonald's was Fort Bragg was where was everybody coming back from Vietnam came through Fort Bragg. And as we know, there was a lot of guys coming back from Vietnam, so foobot on drugs. And you know, a lot of the local doctors were treating drug addicts with methadone to help them wean off. McDonald wasn't. McDonald wasn't looking at himself as a officer. He wasn't looking at himself as a doctor treating drug patients. He looked at himself as a military officer trying to keep his men ready for the next combat. And yes, I think it was Hadley who mentioned he hated drug addicts. He did not like them. He, he always felt it's their fault. You don't want to be on drugs. Get off drugs. You can do it. He did not have that modern concept that this was a disease. And apparently he was well hated in the community, especially among the veterans who were drug addicts, because there was no, you know, he wasn't helping them at all. It was sort of like, okay, you're in the military, shape up, buddy, or ship out. And a lot of these people hung around um, with Helena, Helena Stokely. One of them was well known a black E6, a, a non-cop who hung around. Her boyfriend at the time was Glenn Mitchell, a former Vietnam veteran who had been assigned to Fort Bragg's. He was also a drug addict. And the story she relates is that, you know, they none of the, he would not help these two. So they were going to go over one night and they were all hyped up. They were all on drugs. They were going to go and talk to him, try to straighten him out. And there's a lot of evidence supporting this. Um, Helena Stokely was also a 
informant for the local police. She had ratted out 500 drug addicts where she was getting her. This is all according to the documentary I saw. Um, they talked to the, her, the police officer for Fayetteville, who was, she was informing on him. He saw her the night of February 16th. She was wearing the white boots. She was wearing the blonde wig and the white floppy hat. And she was hanging around, which I find funny. Nobody ever identifies the black non-con. And she was hanging around with Greg Mitchell. And they were seen later by others at a Dunkin' Donuts. And they left Dunkin' Donuts around 1 o'clock. And people remember her because they remember the the blonde with the blonde with the white go-go boots and the white floppy hat with the black non-com and with Gregory Mitchell. And they took off. Um, I think it was Hadley or maybe you Morgana who mentioned the MP who on his way to respond to the 911 call swears he saw a woman standing nearby watching what was going on wearing the go-go boots and the white hat. And she maintained that story. Um, right up until even after the trial, she, she had, she took a polygraph test and she passed the polygraph test. So there was questions about whether her drug use, um, made the polygraph legitimate. So she wanted to testify at the trial on his behalf. She wanted to say, we were there. We're the ones that did it. Um, we snuck up on him. They hit him over the head. Um, apparently, Greg went in to rough up the wife and the daughters a little bit. He went overboard, which I find a little bit more believable. You know, some drugged up meth, uh, some drugged up meth head going berserk on him than McDonald, and that they left. They left it here as a sort of, okay, you know, get your act together. The judge would not, she said, as long as I'm granted immunity, I didn't kill them. I was there. I was drugged out. The, the judge said no. And the prosecutor said, if you go to trial in his defense, we're going to put you on trial instead. So she didn't, she didn't testify for him in trial. But she maintained that story right up until the end. So I tend to think that there may have been more to this, that there may have been others there. Now, my question was, doing all this research that popped up, and I can't put the two and two together. Maybe you ladies can. I can see them going there. I can see them going berserk, killing the family, why didn't they kill him? Yep. You know, if I'm going to wipe out your entire family, I'm wiping you out, especially since you're a well-respected special forces, you could send your buddies after me. Um, and if that happened, he should have recognized them. He apparently knew the NCO. He apparently knew Greg Mitchell. So my question is, was there a connection between those two, well, between those two groups that he did not want to expose? But I can't make a mental connection between them. I mean, yes, apparently during his testimony, uh, when he was talking to the, uh, the IDF, he admitted he'd had an affair with his wife. I can't see him having the affair with Helena Stoke. He had 15 different girlfriends. 15. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, they did not have a good marriage. No. That, that's the thing that when we talk about that he has no history of, we don't know because in the 70s, people didn't talk about domestic violence. If a man slapped his wife around, that was that's not true. something that she probably would mention. That but, is true. But another thing that I don't know that y'all mentioned this yet, but she was pregnant. She was pregnant with their son. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was pregnant. And one of the big domestic violence um, statistics are pregnant women. Like it's the number mm. one when 
a domestic violence situation ends up with a woman dead, it usually she's pregnant. So mm. we have that going on. We have the fact he's got 15 girlfriends, or maybe not at the same time. But, I mean, Helena Slocum, to me, could be someone he saw around. And he knew that she would be someone that he could easily pin it on, you know? Um, I don't understand why why she confessed if she didn't do it. And I want to say that I read where, like, one of the gentlemen who was with her also confessed. Greg Mitchell. Yeah, and he died, like, in the 80s. But... I don't I don't know why they would do that if it wasn't true. But at the same time, I mean, the evidence supports that he did it. Now, you know, I'm not talking about mishandling, I'm talking blood splatter. The fact that he didn't have I mean, if you went into a house and you were going to kill a family to make a point Charles Manson wise, you know. You're, you're going to kill the husband first because he's the biggest threat to you. That makes sense. Is you're going to take out the one who, unless you have a personal vendetta against that person and you're setting them up, you're going to take them out because you have a two-year-old, a five-year-old, and a pregnant woman, and those are not going to be threats to you. Right. A, a trained army whether he was special forces or not, but I mean, he's is a trained army soldier. He knows how to use a gun. He knows how to handle himself. That's going to be the one, especially if these guys are veterans, they're going to know who the threat is. Right. So that's, that's the problem I have. Like you said, he, he didn't have the wounds that they had that child that, I mean, what they did to that baby was just terrible. Um, and I'll go into the, like uh, the details. I want to say, was it fifty something stab wounds? It was like thirty something ice pick wounds to the chin. And that was even the weirder thing was some of the ice pick stabs on the baby were shallow, so it wasn't even done with force. But there was rage involved in that those murders. And then he said that they didn't have an ice pick. Why would you say you didn't have an ice pick? The babysitter even knew they had an ice pick. Right. Yeah, she admitted she used the ice pick to break up the ice. So, like I said, I don't don't understand certain parts of it. But for me, he's the likely person. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that it was, and you know this, when when someone stabs, that's, that's a crime of passion. You know, if you're you're not really into it, I hate to say, it, you know, if you're not really rage-filled, you're not going to stab someone 50 times. You know, you're probably going to mm-hmm. stab them two or three. Um, so, I don't know. It, of course, it's like- around the Vietnam War, and these guys could just be, you know, batshit, you know? I don't know. Well, I mean, that was one point they brought up, that it was the 1960s. I think the Manson crimes had been committed a year before. Um, You mentioned that there was like, it was an open base. Um, And, you know, a lot of people did say that there was a lot of animosity towards him. But I still find it... I still find it if they if they go to him to warn him, then he must have told them before them, the the black um, non-com and Greg Mitchell. No, I am not giving you methadone. So if they go to his house to rough him up, he's going to know who they are. So why didn't he? See, that's the only part of this whole thing. You know, if they did that, got drugged out, killed my family, and then said, don't you do that again, I'm going to go right to the MPs. The evidence is all there. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, here was one that threw me, too, and I, I I remember reading this, and I cannot, I don't remember that I saw it elsewhere. Right before this, like just the, the Christmas before, supposedly he bought a, a, a pony for the little girls. In mm-hmm. anticipation of moving to a farm in Connecticut or something, 
but he never told her that he had bought it. So, I mean, did he tell anybody? I mean, you know, was it actually something he was getting for his family or maybe he was planning on being there, you know, without at some point? And, well, mm -hmm, go ahead. That second wife of his, you know, because he remarried, was yeah. a long-time personal friend of the family. Mm -hmm. So that seems weird to me, too. Sorry. But, you mean um, Colette? No, no. The wife he has now. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, and, and like I said, you know, that, and, and that was another thing that kind of crossed my mind, too, as far as, you know, with the, the hippies that came in and did it, too. If he wanted to get rid of the family, you know, for whoever knows what reason, you know, why not make a deal with a bunch of dope heads and then have one of them come back later and say, oh, no, we did it. When she's already told them during interviews and stuff that she was so messed up, she didn't know what she did that night. Yeah. Yeah, she she wanted to tell the story, and she did. <clears throat> she was there, but I didn't hurt anyone. Mm -hmm. And the only person who ever admitted was Greg Mitchell. He was, I think he was like in the hospital for the last time. And he was talking to one of the nurses, and he said, um, oh, he'd been around the Carolinas, and he was telling all of his friends he was distressed over and he described uh, this strict army doctor who knew him and uh, um, who wouldn't give him methadone. Uh, let's see. And the nurse at the hospital before he died, he said, I did some horrible things to this woman and to these two kids. Oh, he was sorry. He was talking about the doctor and what had happened to his wife and kids. And she said to him, well, you don't have to worry about that. You didn't do it. And he looked at her and he said, yeah, I did. And then shortly after that, he died from an overdose. But can you trust that? You know? I mean, There's a missing link here. Um, I looked at it this way. And please, if you think I'm insane, correct me. If Helena Stokely had sat there and, and given her testimony, Jeffrey McDonald would have walked free. Mm -hmm. I think there's no doubt that people would have said, oh, but there's a link there. Okay? If you look at it and the way the story's told, neither side makes complete sense, especially Jeffrey's side. What was the link between him and her or him and the other two that he's not talking about? Well, Scott, I'll be honest, one of the things that really caused me for pause was the fact that the Army convicted him and then reversed their decision, because that doesn't happen. You know how the military is. They never yeah. think they're wrong. And the only reason that he was brought to trial, and I find this interesting, to, I also looked up the judge in the case to see if there was a political motivation to the judge. And I couldn't find anything negative about him. The FBI refused to take the case originally. Because they said that the military wanted Hoover to step in. And Hoover pretty much said, and there was a memo they showed, no, you guys screwed this up so bad, we ain't going to touch this. Because Hoover knew that this was a nightmare scenario because it was the evidence was so mishandled. Hoover died in the early in the 70s the new director of the fbi said yeah we'll take a look at the case and that's why he went to trial okay well it makes me wonder if there was a reason that the army changed their mind that had to do with this missing link you're talking about maybe you know i mean the military cover-up something what the hell well i mean <laughs> Suppose McDonald was, I mean, suppose McDonald was getting drugs from them. Mm -hmm. You know, suppose, I mean, I think Hadley mentioned earlier that the guy was sleep deprived. 
Mm-hmm. You know, suppose he was going to Helena, and but then Helena never turned him into her informant. But well, let's, this, let's take a look at something different. Let's yeah. look at it, at it as what if he worked with these four people mm-hmm. for them to take care of his problem with his family? Because we all know he acts guilty of sin. Mm-hmm. And something happened. Maybe they didn't show up. Maybe somebody chickened out. But, and, and I'll ask both of y'all this because, I mean, I know that Morgana's got a number of family members that have been in the military and you've been around the military if you haven't been in it yourself. But what trained military veteran is going to use an ice pick? They're going to use a knife. They're going to use something they're familiar with. You know, an ice pick is something very familiar. You know, it's something that you you, use every day in your home. Yeah. It just seems like it's weird that these guys wouldn't use like a hunting knife or, you know, something more um, in line with their training. Yeah. However, if you go with the theory, I'm not saying I do. If you go with the theory that these guys went over there to talk to him and it got out of hand, they'd grab the first weapon they could. Now, maybe the ice pick was sitting on the counter. Maybe, you know, maybe they couldn't find the knives. If they had an ice pick, why did he deny having the ice pick? See, and I, again, I can almost I can almost believe him saying, look, I got 15 girlfriends. I don't want this. I don't want another kid. My wife cheated on me while I was cheating on her. How dare she, you know, swing by the house tonight and kill her. Knock me out and kill her. And they went berserk and they killed the kids. But still, I can't see anybody... He seems normal today. He doesn't seem, he's definitely not a Charles Manson. He's definitely not a Jim Jones. I can't see him paying them to kill his kids. So what? how about this then? He pays them or they have some deal or something to get rid of the wife and then things get out of hand. That is a possibility. That's a possibility. And then he says it was some black guy, some white guy, and some chick in white boots. Gee, that doesn't describe half of Fayetteville. Especially at that time period. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is, he could have set them up, you know, and invited them over to, to, you know, for whatever reason, and set them up. And then, I mean... There, the thing about a drug addict like that is you can suggest things to them. They don't know what's real and what's not. No. So it would be easy for him to suggest, especially their doctor, who knows how they think, to put mm-hmm. to paint a picture that they don't know if it's real or not. You know, I don't know. It's, there's just, there, like you said, there are pieces missing. But yes. he he was involved in it. I mean, I firmly believe that. These other people, I don't know, but I just don't think that these murders would have have been so rage-fueled if um, it wasn't personal. Possible. I mean, yes, the crime of passion. I agree with you completely. If he lost it there, I can see him doing the crime of passion. I can't see him as a guy going that far but there's so much evidence stacked against him that if that evidence alone was presented in a court of law which it was they found him guilty and you know i there's a lot of evidence that backs up helena stokely but again there's that one there's a one missing link and i think if, if that somebody could ever find that one tie between them i think this case will make a lot of sense did they ever find the the black guy i i 
think somebody said they knew who he was. Um, they knew who he was, but I, I never, I don't think that I ever got a name in that documentary. And I don't think I ever saw anything where they questioned him. No, they never questioned him. Mm-hmm. It was only Helena. And as far as I know, she never gave the names of the other people. They knew she hung around with the black NCO, Doncom. And they knew she hung around with Greg, Greg Mitchell. But she, I don't think she ever mentioned them by name. It was Greg who sort of on his deathbed admitted himself. And then when they went to talk to her, she had already died, I think, like the year before. Mm-hmm. You know, drugs, they found her in a boarding house. She'd been dead for, for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And now there is one thing that came out through this whole thing that just gnawed away at me. And not away, maybe there's part of the link. They found the wife in the master bedroom. They found the two kids in their own bedrooms, correct? Right. Okay. Why was he sleeping on the couch? Because he put one of the kids in with his wife, correct? No, no. Okay. Supposedly, he worked. Yeah. And then he cleaned up the kitchen. So he was home from a late night at the hospital cleans up the kitchen, and then he goes to get in bed. Mm-hmm. The daughter, who he says is two-year-old, I think her name is Kristen. Mm-hmm. So two-year-old mm-hmm. Kristen supposedly has wet the bed. Right. So he gets her up, gets her changed, puts her back in the bed, and he goes and sleeps on the sofa is the story. Okay. However, it is um, the the evidence supports that it was what was the other girl's name? Kimberly. Kimberly. That it was Kimberly who was in the bed with her mother, and it was her blood that is found in the bedroom. But then her body's found in her room. And Helena Stokely, one of the things she said during one of her testimonies was, "I walked in." This was before the murders took place. This is when they showed up. I looked into the bedroom and I saw her mother. I saw his wife and her child in bed. Who moved the kid? Mm-hmm. Well, he says he did. But he moved her into the bed with his mother. No. Oh. No, no. He moved her, he said that's why he was sleeping on the sofa was Kimberly or whatever, Kristen had wet the bed. In the mast of, okay. All right, that makes more sense. But still, Helena said when she looked in, the two, she saw the two of them in there. So maybe she was there before the murder. Maybe. Okay, well, let me, and I just want to, I want to go on record having said this. Colette McDonald was carrying her third child, and she was found dead on the bedroom floor. She was clubbed so severely, her arms were both, both of her forearms were broken. She had been stabbed 21 times with an ice pick and 16 times with a knife. Kimberly, age five, was found in her bed clubbed in the head and stabbed eight to ten times in the neck. Evidence shows she was injured and killed elsewhere before her bloody body was placed in her bed and her pink security blanket was placed in her arms. Kristen, age two, was also found in her own bed and had been stabbed 33 times with a knife and 15 times with an ice pick. Jeffrey McDonald, a doctor in Green Beret, well, they say Green Beret, but I saw something else that said that he was just a surgeon. That's not Okay, anyway. He claimed he managed to survive the attack. He had a small, clean cut, a partially collapsed lung, and some bruises. 
When questioned, he claimed he had fallen asleep on the couch after Kristen had wet his side of the bed during the night. He awoke to hippies, two white men, one black man, and one white woman chanting, Acid is groovy, kill the pigs, while lighting candles. He also stated he was rendered unconscious in the attack. So we see some inconsistencies right there. Yeah. Now, I will say this um, also. Um, pig was written. I don't know if you saw the picture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. On the but they, they found a surgical glove, which they believed was used to write it. But the other surgical glove was missing. Who well, has surgical gloves? What hippies do you know carry surgical gloves? True. But I I saw that there was another report that the, a doctor said that the surgical gloves he had in his house were not the same surgical gloves that we used to write on the wall. Maybe he brought them home from the hospital. Maybe. I mean, there's a lot here. Um, there's definitely no way. There's definitely no way you could say, yeah, Jeffrey, you're free. And feel like, yep, I did a good deed. But I don't think Jeffrey's, at the very least, I don't think he's the only one who should be in jail. Of course, everyone else is dead by now. No, and I totally agree with, there's a very good possibility that it was a group effort. But I do think he was involved in some way. Because, like with the little girl, one... How would a stranger know that she had a pink security blanket? Yeah. And two, only someone who cares would have wrapped that around that child. Exactly. The minute Hadley read that, that was just sort of like, okay, yeah, some drug dealer doesn't do it. Maybe. Maybe. Well, maybe Helena did it, but stretch of the imagination. Yeah, because and now how about this? Just throwing this out there, you know. Okay, he's got girlfriends all over the place, but the fact that they all had a different blood type—what if he finds out that the the one that was, you know, brutalized wasn't his, and that's the catalyst that he finds out? I think the slap to the head with the brush, the hairbrush, is what the catalyst (laughs) was. I think it pissed him off. Mm-hmm. I think I think he was disciplining that child because she's five years old and she shouldn't be peeing in the bed. He mm-hmm. was probably tired and wanting to go to sleep. And, you know, which I'm sure we all probably, you know, that would be a horrible thing when you're really tired and you come home and someone's wet the bed and you're like, oh, I got to wash all the sheets and all that. Yeah, but I'm under a lot of stress and I've never come home with a baseball bat well, and no, but the, wife and the kids and the dogs. But you're, sorry, guys. It's okay. Sorry, also, I didn't mean to upset the dogs. <laughs> you're also not the personality type that once you get off scot free and you're out amongst the the real world again, you're going to go on Donahue and on Oprah and on Sally Jesse no. Raphael, and you're going to you know talk all about your story. You know, you're but, not going to write a book. You're not. Well, you might write a book, but. <laughs> but in line, granted, that was just tacky. Very, very least, bottom line, that was tacky. That doesn't mean he's guilty. No, I think he's a narcissist. Oh yes, yeah, he definitely is. A lot of people used to say he was a narcissist. I think that's why he continues fifty years later, and he was still appealing. To, to get out is I think that yeah. he thinks he's smarter and he can get away with this. But there's the one problem now. This is, and remember, I was trained to like pick apart every story. If he's so smart that he, you know, he's still doing this, wouldn't he be smart enough to do things differently? You know, oh, gee, I'm going to stab myself with a knife. Let me walk into the bathroom and stab it there. Oh, yeah. blood's all over the sink. Well, they'll never find that. Scott, you're so innocent. <laughs> well, no, a but nar- I mean... A narcissist, though, they don't have to be smart. They just think they're smarter than everybody. 
see, but he does have the PhD. I can see stupid people doing this stuff. I watch those. I follow the stupid criminal blogs all the time. <laughs> if I was going to arrange, and trust me, I'm a writer. I've thought of this stuff a million times. If I'm going to arrange somebody's murder, I'm going to do it. And even if I do it, even if I go ballistic and wipe out the entire family, I'm going to think about it before I call the police. At least I, I would like to think I'd be smart enough to think about it before I call the police. Well, and maybe he thinks he's done enough cleanup and is convincing mm. enough that it's a okay good call him. Because, you know, that is another problem mm. with the average narcissist is, you know, they think they're doing a great job even when they're That's not. That's true. That's but, true. <clears throat> I still think there's a missing link. Oh, I, and I, I have agree. no clue what it is, but I think there's that one piece of the puzzle that when you put it together, the whole thing is going to be clear. And yeah, I don't think he's innocent. I, I mean, I don't think he's completely innocent. He may, even if he didn't commit the murders, I think he's covering up for the murderers. Mm -hmm. And why? And if you're covering up for the murderers, especially for your own family, you're an accessory. Yes. Now, see, I think that the government's covering up for him. Hmm. Why? I don't know. I think that's oh. the missing piece. I think that they found out something and that it's what made them reverse their decision, that it's something to do with whatever he had going on, which, and this is totally off topic, which, by the way, um, <laughs> I probably have mentioned this to you, but like around this time period is when there was a lot of um I, i'm not i'm going to say it's probably later i think it was the 80s but it just shows you how loose things were at fort bragg but around the 70s and 80s there was a lot of um weapons that were disappearing from fort bragg and uh -huh. being sold over um to the contras <laughs> and I watched a whole program on this man that he was at Fort Bragg. He was a special forces um, Green Beret. He got out of, I think he was actually still at Fort Bragg, but he was involved in setting up the soldiers who were doing that. So it could be something like that, which was, a, that was a huge embarrassment, which by the way, the man that I'm talking about was the shortest man that was ever a special forces operative. And I can't hmm. think of his name, but he's easy to find because he was like not even five foot tall. <laughs> but so my point is there was stuff, shady stuff going on because it was a very confusing time. There was a lot of upheaval and there was a lot of people not keeping track of stuff. So with him being medical and him being with attached to a special forces unit, it could be either they were, you know, getting drugs out and I, I looked somewhere a while ago and they said it was amphetamines so I, mean, I was thinking it was heroin but no it's amphetamines which they didn't start making crystal meth until when the 80s but they had um, the early versions of ecstasy and stuff like that back in the late 60s and early 70s yeah, and, and that it, was also when uh, acid got real big because they started out with that using it for, um, I think it was schizophrenia or something, and then they thought maybe it would make a good early version of Viagra. <laughs> and then they just decided, okay, it's just a drug. Well, I would be interested to know what sort of drug-related stuff was being uncovered around Fort Bragg during that time. Yeah. You know, 10 years, 10, maybe 15 years past the McDonald murders, mm -hmm. see what came up, what, mm. you know, what was in the news. And that might be what we're looking for. I say this like we're going to solve some big mystery. <laughs> but, no, but I mean, that's where my mind takes me is there's a lot of stuff that it, it could be because mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense. Yeah. But we're not going to solve the crime. But. I mean, let's, but every one of us now, every show any of us have done, 
you're more attuned to that murder. So if on the news feed something comes out about Jeffrey McDonald, we're gonna we're gonna go in and look at it. And there may be something there that leads us down to a rabbit hole. Something comes up about Bella in the Witchwood, the uh, the Austrian family that was murdered. I can't remember their names. The Kirkensteins or something? Um, the Gruber's. Enough. The Hinder Kayflick murders. It was the Gruber's. Yes. Family. I mean, any one of those now, that's still moving around. Everybody who listens to us, those things are floating around in the back of your mind. You hear about that. You see a documentary on it coming up. You're going to watch it. And that's where somebody will find the pieces and put things together. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Well, I enjoy Before you go, be sure to leave us a comment and let our weird team know how they're doing. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow us to get notifications when we add new content. We're adding new content three, four, and sometimes five times a month. If you want to keep the conversation going or would like to learn more about our panel of hosts, be sure to check out our link tree. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash weird realities. It links to our official Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and website. Weird Realities Podcast is made possible by Lauren Smith, producer, with Night Callers Production, and Logan Craft with Beaver Hook Productions.